Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Uh, Mark, welcome to another edition of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you this evening. Hey, Jeff. Hey, we've got a recurrent guest, I think for the fourth time, but who's counting? And that is the, uh, the infamous Peter McCullough, who has been a thought leader throughout the pandemic um, and uh, is a recurrent guest here, and we're very pleased to have him back. Peter, welcome back to Informed Dissent. Well, thanks for having me back on the show. I just have a minute to give a brief update, and, and I'll let the, the rest of the show, hopefully you guys will give an update on the, the, uh, the lawsuit that both of you have uh, basically made the news on in terms of California AB 2098. But what I've been talking about in the last a few days is uh, my uh, ban from Twitter. Everyone's asking me about it. It's it's what I call the Thursday night massacre. Uh, so what had happened last week is earlier in the week, we saw some instability in Twitter accounts. It wasn't just me, it was others. Thousands of followers being subtracted and added back and it coincided with the announcement that Elon Musk was back on buying Twitter. So, uh, you know, my tech team told me they thought there was a change out of the bots. You know, bots are these uh, automatic followers that are assigned to accounts and they take on various activities, sometimes nefarious activities. Um, and uh, so we had that instability. And then, um, and then on Thursday, what happened is I started getting messages. I, I finished at the clinic hospital. I headed home. People say something's wrong with your Twitter account. And I logged in and all my followers were drained to zero. They were drained to zero. It was like, how does this happen? And then I actually got the the kill shot, the suspension from Twitter. So I tried to download all my data and Twitter wouldn't let me do it. I had to get legal involved, tech teams involved. And now Twitter is backing off somewhat and we're in this discussion. And I can tell you, this is after over a year of flawless and fearless tweeting. I uh, you know, was relentless in tweeting out the science, mostly uh, graphical abstracts, peer-reviewed manuscripts, updates. I announced uh, Mark's book, uh, both books actually, on Twitter, key video clips. Uh, and there's no clear pattern where uh, Twitter would say that there was a you know, change or a violation in community rules. So something inconsistently is applied. And uh, this went into the weekend where the news actually just got worse. I don't know if you guys were following this, but PayPal announced that they were gonna drain people's accounts by $2,500 uh, if there was an arbitrary uh, decision that there was a spreader of COVID misinformation without any details about how COVID would, uh, how PayPal would actually determine this or adjudicate this. Um, uh, there was a, a giant backlash and then PayPal came out and said, oh, we didn't mean it, uh, that this, uh, in fact, that, that they withdrew this type of language. People started draining their PayPal accounts, I know I did, um, and then canceling them out. And then we've seen just some wide open evidence of corruption. You know, I spoke uh, 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 more than a week ago at the Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, and the same night in a online meeting in Queensland, Australia, both of them ticketed by Eventbrite, before both of those events, Eventbrite contacted all the attendees, told them it was canceled, and then Eventbrite kept the money from the meeting organizers. 
So these are some examples of just widespread corruption, as far as I can tell, and then censorship. So today, uh, a loyal follower uh, had tried a nasal spray product that she bought on Amazon, and she said it helped her kind of get through the congestion of COVID. So she tried to write a nice review on Amazon, and then Amazon nailed her for COVID misinformation, violating community rules. So something's going on, you guys. It's way beyond California and AB 2098. Uh, it seems to be seeping into every aspect of life. And my question for your viewers is, if it was PayPal this weekend, you know, is it going to be Bank of America uh, and Citibank uh, in, in a week or two? And then who, who, you know, this idea of misinformation, I don't think it actually exists in the clinical sciences. I think there's just uh, simply scientific data and observations and two or more interpretive points of view. So uh, so what's going on, I think, is, uh, is really worthy of discussion. Well, thank you, Peter, for the update. Absolutely. I mean, consensus in science only happens when you um, when you ban dissenting opinions, then you get uh, consensus. And that's really what's happening uh, right now and really is the point of uh, 2098. And we appreciate you speaking out about it as well. And of course, we never see this kind of censorship uh, going in the other direction. You never see the left censored or banned or have, have their uh, pay system taken down. It only happens to people that are right of center, and that's really a problem. So when you talk about this being unique to California, it isn't. California is just simply the tip of the spear, and that's why Mark and I are fighting this law, and hopefully we'll pre prevent this from spreading like a plague across the rest of the country. So Mark, is there any um, reaction uh, from you or people in your circles regarding a PayPal, Eventbrite, and some of these other activities now? I actually wasn't aware that it was so widespread. I had heard that you had been canceled or suspended off of Twitter, but the Eventbrite example that you just brought up is the first time I've heard Eventbrite pulling this for some time. I think Simone Gold had this occur when she was on her tour a year ago where she had booked locations and sold tens of thousands of dollars worth of tickets. Eventbrite would then cancel the event and then just hold the money and would refuse to refund it. I think she did eventually get some of that money back, but she had to threaten a lawsuit. So this seems to be a resurgence of the tactics that we saw back in mid to late 2020. And it, it seems to be a symptom or a sign of something that as yet I'm not really aware of uh, in terms of an undercurrent or, or a new strategy. So your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I don't know what's going on. You know, Mark, the first time I actually saw this in action was uh late uh, 2020, early 2021, when um, producer Courtney Koshar and, uh, and uh, cameraman uh, uh, producer Adam Mariner uh, in their documentary, actually one of the first ones called Scene 2020, and you were one of the stars of Scene 2020. You know what they did? We uh, had the expense of renting out an entire movie theater in Dallas. Again, it was ticketed by Eventbrite. Tickets were sold. Uh, there was food and and then this you know crowd and it turns out that Eventbrite kept all the money and I uh, you know circled back with Adam and Courtney later on they never got the money from Eventbrite they never uh, so got it, it and, and so it seems as if uh, there's corruption now there's there's no limits to it and uh, it, it's it, it is it's hitting home in terms of monetary uh, consequences and you know I think one of the questions I have 
is, you know, was it PayPal's decision to do this? Is it Eventbrite's decision to do this? Or is it possible that they're being contacted by government agencies and U.S. government agencies telling them, listen, we have an initiative uh, to, cr to crush any discourse on COVID-19 and, uh, you know, we want you to do this. And since yeah, that's the even, US that's even an even scarier thought. But, you know, I, I, it's very possible that that's the case. I mean, it's now it's in Amazon, PayPal. If it's in the banking systems, it's in the ticketing systems. It's clearly in social media and Twitter. Uh, uh, you know, my response to uh, my, my Twitter uh, kill was to start a Substack. Man, people have been after me for the longest time. And, you know, I produce, like you, I produce a podcast every week. I'm, I'm in practice. I'm seeing patients. I said, gosh, a Substack. How could I possibly? So I started a Substack. And then, sure enough, it hit the news wires uh, within a day or two. Anti-vaxxers making millions on Substack. <laughs> now, it, it didn't mention me. I just started. There wasn't even a quarter that went in my account. But they mentioned uh, Mercola. Uh, and so many other people on, on Substack. So I think that, you know, to summarize, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a tremendous desire for the world and the public to get independent media, to get independent, unfettered, unbiased uh, opinions, analysis, data. And, and then we're seeing a crushing censorship and now financial reprisal um, program being put into effect and, and it, to me, it smells like a government operation. And the reason why I say that is American First Legal, through FOIA, uh, obtained evidence that the CDC was meeting with Facebook and Twitter on a regular basis to craft a false narrative. And uh, in a lawsuit that I had levered against Twitter with uh, lead attorney Matthew Tyson in California, uh, claiming under my old Twitter account, which is the COVID-19 treatments account, another scientific account uh, that was knocked out after about 20,000 users, um, that, uh, you know, we contended that Twitter uh, is a common carrier, that they, they, they can't just wipe out people's accounts for, uh, you know, for spurious, um, arbitrary and capricious reasons. And, you know, Twitter prevailed in this. And you know what they prevailed on? It's called SLAP. Uh, that our lawsuit they claimed was a strategic lawsuit against their public participation in the conversation. So Twitter is actually asserting that they have the right to participate in a conversation. And their methods by participating, instead of Twitter having their executive tweet, tweet their opinions, their method is actually by manipulating our accounts. Um, it looks like obviously working with government agencies, using all different types of tools to shape what uh, the viewers can see. Uh, we caught on my account, we caught Twitter not only draining all my followers off, but also automatically unfollowing uh, individuals. So I had people screen, screen capture that, and then we screen captured Twitter blocking my ability to back up my account. So all of these screen captures become the, the case that Twitter is far beyond a common carrier now. Uh, and now the court precedent is that Twitter is involved in a conversation and they are manipulating people's accounts uh, to cast a false narrative. Now, people would say, well, why do you care? Why are you on Twitter? Why don't you just go somewhere else? You know, Twitter is the largest of all the social media carriers, number one. You know, it, it could be even up to a third of the world is on it. And then number two, there appears to be no safe harbor, whether it's a true social or getter 
or Facebook, uh, you know, we can go on and on. Where is the safe harbor? And if the long reach of what could be a government operation, let's just say it's CDC, NIH, FDA, and the intelligence community uh, working in some way, uh, what would prevent that long arm and everything they have to reach into the next uh, pocket of independent media activity, including um, Riverside, uh, uh, the platform that you make this program on, uh, Zoom, uh, uh, WebEx, uh, how about uh, you know all the other uh, platforms that we we are talking about? So uh, you know this is something I, I I'm not sure where we go from here. I don't think we can get any fairness in the courts. I think it's down to the the court of public opinion. Well, maybe when Elon Musk buys Twitter, that things will at least change on that platform. Now, I'm hoping, Jeff, that he would reach out to me. Uh, I am the only one who beat his viewers on the Joe Rogan experience. And uh, I just <laughs> hope there isn't any envy or jealousy out there. Now, I don't have the money that he has, but I must be more interesting. Maybe Elon is, is personally jealous of that fact and he's working behind the scenes. My tech team had intel. They thought I was number one out on Twitter as a hit target. Simone Gold, by the way, uh, who did pretty well on her rebound, uh, got a good social media team. We were both at about half a million viewers. I was just ahead of her. Um, but I had thousands of tweets. You know, what I did is I read the manuscripts and then I make a graphical abstract and I make a, 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 a JPEG or PNG file. And then it's, uh, it, it's so you can actually see the title, the citation and the main finding. I'll, you know, and, and I just, uh, you know, it's not my words. I'm just actually either pulling the words out of the text or I'm showing the data. And people relied on this. I had so many people in the media say, listen, where's McCullough's Twitter feed? This is how I'm keeping up to date on what's going on. And, and otherwise, it's a, it's a disparate uh, literature. Uh, it's, it's hard to interpret. You know, we're coming up on 300,000 peer-reviewed manuscripts in the peer-reviewed literature on SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. What do you make of the new bivalent vaccine that's uh, now being pushed? to kids as young as six six months old. You know what, I just went in for a jog uh, and a quick swim in order before I hit the evening session, I ran into my neighbor uh, who's always out watering his lawn. He's already announced he's going for yard of the year after winning yard of the month. And I can tell you right next door, I don't stand a chance. Um, but but you know, he, he, he probably told me, he goes, what's going on with Twitter and Elon Musk? And, 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 and he's someone who's taken all the vaccines and I, and I said, you know, I think this is about the vaccines. I think it's about promoting the vaccine agenda. He goes, listen, I, I took them all. I'm well. I never got COVID. I said, but people have died with these vaccines, and there's been a lot of injuries. He goes, but they've saved millions of lives. And, and this is, guys, just a standard uh, John Q. public. People do have the view out there from what they've interpreted that, sure, there's been casualties with the vaccines, but they've saved many lives and I guess as long as you feel well it's okay for you and I didn't have time to get into medical ethics and all of these things I just kind of said wow I'm just happy I didn't take one and I'm on my way but you know it just reminded me that people have that viewpoint and, and I'm sure he's going to line up for a bivalent vaccine what we know is that uh, these were tested uh, what happened was we were promised Omicron vaccines in March and, and the companies did make them. They made it against BA1, the subvariant, and the vaccines were tested in humans and they raised antibodies against BA1, uh, but there were no, was no clinical proof it could stop the infection. And uh, then the vaccines never came out because the virus mutated onto the predominant BA4, BA5 variant. 
So then the companies changed gears and they made a, a target, an RNA coding for the common, uh, the, you know, the common part of the spike protein to BA4 and BA5. And then uh, this was tested in animal models, uh, just a handful of, of mice. And what happened was interesting. The mice that received the new bivalent vaccine, uh, they got equally sick. Their, their respiratory epithelial tract was equally invaded with the Omicron variant, but they had an antibody rise to it. Uh, and it wasn't any different than the old vaccines. So this proved two things. One, the, the bivalent vaccines don't stop Omicron, BA4, BA5. And number two, the antibodies are a false surrogate. So this was the worst uh, possible result we could have. There was no testing in humans. And then shockingly, the FDA, which is currently led, by the way, by a cardiologist who his whole life has been extolling the virtues of large clinical trials and safety, and that we need more and more randomized trials in humans. Uh, he and the FDA approve this with no human studies. So another example how things are completely off the rails. Yeah, just insane. You know, Peter Hotez was on the news. He's the vaccine developer nominated for the Nobel Prize from Baylor in Houston. Many will recognize him with the uh, bow tie and the vaccine books behind him uh, in his uh, bunker that he broadcasts from. Uh, but he mentioned that 30 percent of uh, of children had taken the bivalent boosters. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can tell you it's nowhere close to that. Uh, we have a situation where um, the CDC has told us these are the data that I know that 82 percent of adults have taken at least one shot from the very beginning. Uh, Two thirds or about 67 percent got fully vaccinated with with the you know shot one and shot two. One third of that two thirds then took some form of a booster. And now we're down to less than 5% of those eligible. So those would be those fully vaccinated are taking a bivalent booster. So we're talking about one or 2% of the American population has taken one of these bivalent boosters. Uh, the uptake is low. Uh, and, and we just don't see any th enthusiasm for it. You know, I would say parenthetically, we haven't seen any vaccine celebrations, any gala balls. There aren't any rallies on the on, on the mall of the uh, of the uh, Washington Monument. Uh, we don't see celebration of the vaccines. Wherever we see vaccine mandates, is very interesting. You never see a corporate leader or uh, an educational leader get out and say they take responsibility for the mandate. You know, whenever there's a, a campaign like a breast cancer campaign or or some other campaign, there's always a senior vice president who's the one in charge and he's the figurehead of the of the new campaign. For the for the vaccination campaign, uh, there seems to be no one accountable. Every time I ask a patient or a friend, I'll say, "Well, who's mandating this?" Well, my company is. I said, "But who at your company?" Well, I don't know. And well, why don't you ask them? I'm afraid. That's the common answer. So these mandates, nobody knows, seems to know who's behind them. It's just like the PayPal initiative and draining people's accounts. Who, who actually made the decision? No one seems to know. If you were to ask me again, I'd say where there's a lack of accountability and a great deal of mystery here, uh, I would bet it's a government operation. Uh, I bet uh, through uh, COVID countermeasure funding, through other forms of uh, CDC, NIH, or intelligence community activities, that organizations are being approached and these mandates and other initiatives are being put forward 
but no one really feels comfortable being accountable for them. Peter, can we even trust the FDA or for that matter, the CDC anymore? Boy, I tell you, you see Harvey Risch, he just came out and said there is zero trust at this point in time. And you know, the thing that really, really gets me, this will be my last comment, is I'm at a big academic medical center. I just came home a little while ago. And uh, you know, about two weeks ago, the CDC said for healthcare workers that we don't have to wear masks unless uh, we either have COVID or we're working directly with a COVID patient. So I said, hallelujah. Walked into the, into the, into the medical center, which has prided itself in being lockstep with the CDC and everything's great. They always follow the CDC. I get all the emails following the CDC. I said, hallelujah, I was ready to slingshot that mask up onto one of the chandeliers in the lobby. Uh, you know, I get up to my office and then I walk in and, and there's a lot of confusion. Some of the masks are, you know, halfway off and the nurses are, and the medical assistants are all in a, in, in, in a bluster. And, and then come to find out the academic medical center, which I'm in, is not following the CDC. They're saying, we're gonna continue with masking. And, uh, and so the practice that I have, according to the, you know, our community rules of having our office in the medical center, we're going along with masking. So I'm in my third year, finishing my third year of masking, uh, you know, as a doctor, and I, I follow the rules. But this whole idea of following the CDC, that's, not, that's now been jettisoned. That, uh, that, that, that was convenient at the time when an organization wanted to to follow the CDC. And we're, we're seeing the same thing with mandates. You know, the CDC says that a fully vaccinated person is indistinguishable for an unvaccinated person. That means there should never be a mandate. But in fact, every, all, these, all these companies saying they're following the CDC, the CDC has never said to mandate the vaccines. So listen, I'm gonna have to let that be the last word. I'll let you guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, spend the rest of the time with your audience on the podcast. I, I just wanna know one last thing. Am I the record holder for the show at this point in time? Just you, let me know. I, you, I need to be able to tell Elon Musk. You, yeah. you actually are, Peter. I think this is four or five. I've kind of lost track. And uh, I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you this weekend in Sedona, Arizona. I'm going to attend and speak at that conference that you're at. Well, listen. You know, we got to go. Uh, uh, we got to go climb the canyon. Uh, we're going to do some great video content right there. We really need to get into it, and and we got to get Mark into some things face to face, because we have to understand the psychology, Mark, of what's going on behind this. Um, uh, I, 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 like you, I believe fear is playing a giant role in this, but it's not just individual fear. It's got to be group organizational fear, hesitancy. Uh, you know, why wouldn't an academic medical center celebrate the new CDC, uh, you know, guidance that we don't need to wear masks? Why wouldn't they? I think centralization has a lot to do with this and the more centralized every entity becomes the more restricted and constricted our options become. And whether that's a government centralization, a currency centralization, educational, and we're getting more and more centralization. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're sort of strangled in social media. It isn't really a free market and there isn't really competition. And so one person can pull the strings and then people like you can get cut. Um, I see the solution as decentralizing everything. And you proposed that a year ago when you offered to get rid of or stop supporting all of these medical journals 
which have all become a centralized locus for true disinformation and to make an open share market. I thought that was a great idea. Simone Gold offered the same thing for medical institutions. Let's get a true decentralization of medical funds, doctor to patient, period. Money goes on between two people, not through a third and fourth and fifth party. Same thing with education, homeschooling. Bitcoin is a decentralized currency. The government wants to stop it and make a centralized electronic currency that the government can control. I could go on and on and on. I think the core a tie between all of these problems and their solutions is a decentralization. And that that eliminates the opacity and creates transparency, which of course is what cures all of this infection. That's true. You know, a great decentralized activity is what Jeff and I are going to do. Getting together at a meeting, having some interchange. I spend almost every weekend on the road. You know, I've had crowds of 500 to 5,000. You know what people want the most? They want to have their questions answered. They've been stonewalled by government agencies, hospitals, health systems, even the clinics they go to. They've been stonewalled and they want to get their questions answered. And I have been amazed at how patiently people will wait and how much time they'll spend. Uh, I recently uh, went to the, to the Midwest. I was in, uh, in Boise, Idaho, uh, and then um, I was up in Minnesota, I was in Big Ten country. I'd mentioned, you know, I had graduated in graduate school from University of Michigan. I said, what does it take to get, you know, Big Ten fans to stay in a big conference room and hear the science on COVID-19 and hear, you know, questions on bioethics? And they said, doctor, this is so important. Uh, we need to be here and we need to get our questions answered. So the health freedom movement is very hot right now. It's probably the hottest thing and uh, there's a lot of joy out there. Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie. It, it's a one-way street, right? People are only moving from being indoctrinated, in a sense, being in this false narrative. Uh, some people you know, use the word mass formation to, in it, to actually breaking out and being on the side of being awake and being with us on health freedom. There's Guys, I'm gonna have to let that be the last word. I've gotta go testify. You got it, Peter. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, and we'll see you this weekend. All right, see you soon. Bye, Peter. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.